politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen, once again to see our podcast today, Friday, September 9th. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house. And is it a matter of fact that we all want to be ruled over kings or ruled over by kings and queens? I'm trying to figure that out. Um, Look, I understand people get all emotional about the monarch in in, in the UK, and we have a lot of great UK listeners, and I understand their heritage and tradition, but like American conservatives, it's a little bit bizarre. Um, If nothing else, I just hope we don't have a distraction for the next 10 days uh, with everyone focused on every minutia with Charles and William and whatever else, um, because I think everyone is missing a very big point, a profound irony. You see, in the era we live in, the monarchs to the extent they exist, are all ceremonial, okay? They don't have any real power over our lives. Yet at the same time, the democratically or supposedly democratic organs of government are more autocratic and now more genocidal than almost any monarch ever was pre-enlightenment. So that's the irony The king ain't Charles. The king is Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and whoever else. So let's stay focused. I want to make sure, you know, we don't get off on the latest comedic relief as uh, typically conservatives want to do. But today we're going to talk about the magnitude of the genocide and why it's a genocide and why the government and Pfizer knew exactly what their shots would cause and did it anyway. Precisely because it does what it does. First, a word from our sponsor, Patriot Academy. Folks, how many of you, be honest with me, how many of you know how to properly draw from the holster and accurately shoot and win a gunfight? Okay, it's going to be a minority of gun owners. Even those who are good with hunting and rifles, very few people are really good with handguns. That's why I want you guys to come out to our next trip with uh, Rick Green and, and Patriot Academy, a constitutional defense course. Where is it? Okay, it's in northeast New Mexico this time. Uh, Colfax County, the NRA Whittington Center is where we're hosting it. It will be September 25th to 29th, which is coming up soon, October 2nd to 6th. Uh, go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. Spots are limited. We do still have like another week left for registration. So if you know you could take the time off, four-day course, we were out on the range all day, uh, trigger control, sight alignment, clearing malfunctions, drawing from the holster. It is so much fun and so vital to the times we live in. So again, it's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So typically, every year, we've been doing a show on the anniversary of 9-11, commemorating 9-11. And I already started to say this last year, but certainly this year, 9-11 is on Sunday, 21st anniversary. Can't believe how much time has flown by. It's almost meaningless. And, and obviously, you know, the 3,000 people who died, the bravery of the firefighters that saved so many people, certainly their uh, memory will endure forever. What I'm saying is in terms of geopolitical lessons, what our own government has done to us with these shots and everything around them, the Great Reset, blows that out of the water. We're talking about millions of deaths. And then among the living, CNN just put this out, one in four children has seen a mental health professional. One in four, you cannot quantify the long-term damage of that blows out of the water what our external enemies have done to us. I want you guys to think about that. And and more than just the magnitude of COVID fascism, the rise of the Fourth Reich, the Great Reset, overshadowing 9-11. But actually, what it teaches us is that the lesson to reflect upon isn't so much 9-11 Versus our own government's reaction to it, which if you think carefully, very much reflects the way they reacted to COVID. And actually, 
The Great Reset has its roots in it, including the biomedical fascism. Now, I don't have time to get into all that today. Maybe we'll do a little bit more on Monday. But I just want to note that as we commemorate this 21st anniversary, just remember, just like in this case, where they responded by casting a wide net and harming everyone, taking away everyone's liberties rather than addressing the problem. Early treatment. Treat those who need treatment. No, they blocked that. Same thing here. What at its core, at its core, what was 9-11 all about? Was it like Pearl Harbor where we had to meet kinetic force with kinetic force? No, they didn't fly over here on you know, an Air Force, bring a Navy over Afghanistan, whatever. No, we let in jihadist nutcases we shouldn't have let in. It was an immigration problem. And the 9-11 Staff Committee in 2004 made that point. So it had nothing to do with nation building in the Middle East. We responded by casting a wide net on liberties of Americans. Airports were the breeding ground for taking away bodily autonomy and human rights. Okay, the Israelis don't do that, and they're the most targeted country. What we do, fondling people, disgusting what the TSA does. And Republicans aren't even campaigning on abolishing the TSA. Vile human beings, all of them. They can drop dead. And instead of doing what they should have done, just simply shutting down Middle East immigration and targeting the Muslim Brotherhood, they doubled the Middle East immigration went over there so we could bring in hundreds of thousands of people from Iraq and Afghanistan and every other jihadist country. And then they elevated the Muslim Brotherhood literally to the counterterrorism. DOD officials met with Anwar al-Awlaki several months after his disciples flied planes into the building. They held lunch in the cafeteria of the Pentagon. It was like January, February 2002. Eventually, he fled to Yemen afterwards and, you know, was killed in a drone strike. But that guy was actually part of the solution. Again, that's the equivalent of banning ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and pushing inflammation, lockdowns, masks. That's, they actually did the same thing. Now, I, per, I know I'm going to get emails, but I personally still do believe 9-11 was a real Islamic attack based on the evidence I've seen. I've, I've read the theories that, that challenge it. Um, but I still believe that's the case. I believe the government was criminally negligent and basically brought in the Muslim Brotherhood and, and all this stuff for years. Um, and I wouldn't put it past them to do something like that because they just did something a thousand times greater. But I just think, you know, the reality is, you know, you can't get caught up in one thing and think there's no other enemy. They are an enemy. I just don't think they have the same means to threaten us like our own government does. But that was the lesson of 9-11. That it was the response that we need to commemorate. How we allowed government to declare an emergency and allow NSA to listen into Americans, not, not just foreigners, Americans. We allowed this. We empowered it. The root of all the fascism we're dealing with, and certainly COVID fascism, more so than in the typical nanny state type of government bureaucratic agencies, EPA, IRS, HHS, HUD, it was in the national security apparatus. They are the biggest problem, and that was all set up from 9-11, particularly, by the way, the biomedical stuff. Remember, I fully believe now that the anthrax stuff was sent by the government to push the anthrax vaccine, which harmed so many people in the military. It's disgusting what they did. They need to be held accountable for that. And Dick Cheney, if he had his way, he wanted to give us all the heart-inflaming ACAM 2000 smallpox shot, even Fauci, at least in his own words, convinced him not to do that. That was the Republican response. Double Islamic immigration, empower the Muslim Brotherhood, 
and then cast a wide net on American liberties and drain us, thousands killed, trillions spent, refereeing Islamic civil wars so we can bring in more refugees that are jihadists themselves. That was our response. 21 years worth. It, it, is, it is just so maddening. But in fact, it's quite apropos to commemorate it if you think about it in light of COVID fascism. It's not just that COVID fascism outshadows, overshadows the magnitude of 9-11. But the response to 9-11 really was the catalyst, the forerunner for a lot of this great reset. Really, the, the lockdown, if you read up on it, lockdowns and things like that have its roots in the post-9-11 you know, emergency bioterror drills. You know, at the time, I believed all that stuff. I just never could have imagined that our government would be the bioterrorists. Think about bin Laden if he could have ever had the ability to inject 5.6 billion people with poison, lock down billions, deny human rights to billions, cause a cascading effect of physical, mental, emotional, reproductive. You could not have killed civilization more than that. It's sad, but it's true. I mean, you know, if you just think about it, Think about this. There have been 16,631 excess non-COVID deaths registered in England and Wales in the 18 weeks since April 23rd. 13.4% higher. Okay? Here's the deal. Here's what it boils down to. My buddy Steve said it very eloquently this week. You can take any and every evil we're up against and summarize the chances of its success or failure with one thing. Those committed to the darkness have more conviction than those committed to stopping it. And that's the bottom line. This is what we're up against. We're going to talk about Trump, talk about the FBI, talk about the Queen of England, talk about this. What is it you're going to do about this? It's like the more information that comes out about the shots the more they push it and the more no one says anything. It's truly shocking. According to the International Olympic Committee data, an average of 29 athletes under the age of 35 suffered sudden deaths per year from 1966 to 2004, very long period. Yet from March 2021 to March 2022, right after the vaccines, rather than 29 It was 769 athletes died or suffered cardiac arrest suddenly. That is a small population, a microcosm of the world, but it happens quicker with them because they have a more active lifestyle. That means we're at the tip of the iceberg. Truly, truly a holocaust. But you know what? I'm in a bad mood to put myself in a good mood. I use myself some QP goat soap. You got it. Stop using the cartel zest and dove left-wing soap. What's left-wing soap? Well, not only do they support those who hate us, but also it inflames your skin. Just like you have to worry about what you put in your body, the medicines, the um, food with all the pro-inflammatory stuff. This stuff inflames your skin. A lot of people have skin ailments now, both from the shots and just from this garbage stuff they put in. The Quinn family, they make on their Florida farm, they have, it's, it's the most amazing family business you could imagine. Quinn Pittman, he was a little boy, he said, I want, I want goats, I want to make cheese. Well, he got his dream, and on his ninth birthday, he got his goats. They actually made pretty good cheese, but didn't work good to commercially sell it, so they switched to making homemade soap. They have all sorts of soaps. If you go to qpgoatsoap.com, as in Quinn Pittman, 15-year-old entrepreneur. Unbelievable story. He makes it along with his mom. Uh, Little Grace packages it, and Ben the dad works on the business side. They have all sorts of options, all sorts of scents for men, women, um, different, uh, the, the smells are heavenly. It's unbelievable. My my oldest son now now likes it actually, and and wrote a letter to the Pittmans. He, uh, you know, you know that age they're always reluctant to take showers. So now he really looks forward to. It. I do as well. It just puts you in a good mood. Um, cocoa is my favorite, but they have a bunch of other 
um, I'd say flavors. It almost looks like something you could eat. It's just really soft, amazing on the skin, all natural. Um, and, and you're supporting an American conservative Christian homeschooling family uh, where other kids are busy with video games and drugs and God knows what else. He's hunting and fishing and running his own business, studying the classics and the Bible with his homeschooling mom. Unbelievable family. Support the Pittmans and get yourself the best soap you've ever gotten at qpgoatsoap.com. Be sure to put in Daniel for the promo code. So now let's get to our guest before time runs out because we're going to need a lot of time for, for our guest, Sonia Elijah. So it's quite fortuitous that on, on a day like today where obviously the country, the world, certainly the UK is mourning the death of the Queen, we have a special guest today from the UK. And the issue we're talking about is actually not the Queen, but the King. And what I mean by the King is not King Charles, but King Pfizer. What's very interesting that I think is going to be lost on this observation. Obviously, this is a very sad time for those in the UK. In America, we're kind of removed from even the concept of even a ceremonial monarch. But what I think a lot of people liked about Queen Elizabeth is that it it sort of offered a bridge to the past, that heritage where there was a monarch, but you didn't have the bad things of a monarch where they infringed upon your liberty, and it was largely ceremonial. What we have today from the supposed democratic governments is worse than anything that emanated from King George. I mean, King George did not come over to the colonies and say, hey, buddy, you can't get an organ transplant or or whatever medical care you had until you wear a diaper and get Pfizer's product. They didn't shut down your churches. They didn't shut down your businesses. They didn't uh, put out these insane products one after another. The problem is not the a monarch now. The problem is 10 Downing or Pennsylvania Avenue in, in America. The problem is the so-called democratic governments that are no longer democratic. And when you look at, you know, and also, you know, God bless the queen with a, a long life. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't being blessed with a long life. And it's it's insane how every minute, just just now someone texted me something else here in my home state of Maryland, another high school football player downed out of nowhere, cardiac arrest everywhere. And again, it's not just anecdotes. We have tons of data points to back this up. This is already proven that this thing has killed already Hundreds of thousands of people in America, millions around the world, injure tens of millions. The question is the exact magnitude, how long it's going to go on for, how long, you know, when are, when are you out of the woods? Is it after a year or two? What are the long-term effects? But today what I want to focus on, again, when you demonstrate the malfeasance of so-called democratic governors and why I mentioned before that it really overshadows 9-11 with 3,000 casualties. This was done by our government. This was done by the global governments. The magnitude, the sheer magnitude of this. I wrote a book. Obviously, it's out for pre-order, Rise of the Fourth Reich. And the main point of this book is to demonstrate that this wasn't a matter of criminal negligence even. It was premeditated malfeasance. It wasn't like Oh, the shots didn't have enough data around them. Uh, They were rushed, helter-skelter, warped speed. No, they knew exactly what's happening. We all knew that when you saw such a ubiquitous degree of myocarditis, of the neurological issues, um, I mean, just the tinnitus and the migraines, it's it's, it's everywhere. Uh, You look now and you see among the children, we saw that that 7% of the young baby, 7%, uh, couldn't function the next day. About half of them had at least some level of non-systemic injury, meaning beyond the the injection site. So they had fever, malaise. They they knew about that, and certainly they knew about the serious injuries. So how do we have all these pristine studies of safe and effective? Well, in the last number of months, earth-shattering documents that each one should have been. A, a civilization-changing event on a higher 
order of magnitude than the queen dying, than 9-11, each one, yet no one even knows about these things. The Pfizer documents released in plain English that shows how these people knew about the problems. We've had some guests on from the clinical trial. We have it in our book as well. How they knew, they knew about the death and injuries, the, the, the prevalence, the scope of it, the mechanism of action was obvious to them. And they forged on with it anyway. I don't even mean just after the first few months of surveillance. I mean at the clinical trial level before this went off, got off the ground. So it's not like, you know, now, now a lot of people are complaining the new shots have no clinical trials. Well, all that does is just demonstrate publicly what they're willing to do. But ironically, the worst thing is actually doing a clinical trial and seeing, oh, it kills people. Let's go and pull, bring this out to the general public. Now, with us today from the UK is Sonia Elijah. Uh, you know, one of the people that I think has not gotten enough credit uh, from the maybe several dozen or so that have really done in-depth work is, is Sonia. She's an investigative journalist, host of the Sonia Elijah podcast. She has a background in economics, former BBC uh, researcher, and she writes very detailed and incisive articles and has been um, starting with the testing and the lockdowns and now really on the vaccines, every aspect of it. Uh, Trial Site News is where I follow her. It is a subscription uh, website, but I really do recommend it. It's pretty cheap, and I have gotten a subscription myself. Uh, she writes at the Brownstone Institute as well. You could follow her at Sonia underscore Elijah. It's S-O-N-I-A underscore Elijah, um, spelled like the prophet, on Twitter. Um, also, Sonia Elijah investigates on Substack. And you could also occasionally still find articles at The Conservative Woman, which is a really terrific UK website as well. Sonia, I've been meaning to have you on for so long. Thanks so much for joining us today at Blaze Media. Thank you so much, Daniel. I've been really looking forward to talking with you. Well, I know I've given you a tall order. You know, the top five or so bombshells from the Pfizer documents to go through them that demonstrates the magnitude of danger from the shots and the scope of what they knew. I want to start in chronological order. So we have documents from the post-release surveillance, early 2021. We have from later 2021 documents yes. back and forth between them and the FDA when they were getting so-called full licensure with community. Uh, yeah. We have more recent documents, but we have documents from the clinical trial itself. Everyone yeah. is wants to know how is it that on the one hand, we see a degree of death that you can't miss. I mean, even the mainstream media now is saying we've never had this degree of excess deaths in the UK alone. We are... Um, averaging per week the degree of excess deaths that if you would extrapolate it since January 2021 times five for the U.S. population, just for my audience, so they can conceptualize it, I've worked it out to be about 460,000 excess deaths in the U.S. How is it that the clinical trials were reported as safe and effective, no problems? Yes. Um, well, yes, it's very interesting you say that. I mean, I the first document that I did really deep dive and, and, and sort of analyze was the, the cumulative analysis, analysis of post-authorization adverse event reports. And that was over a three-month period from December 1st, 2020 through to 28th February 2021. And that was in that first data, sort of the dump uh, that was sort of the end of last year. And uh, the report I wrote, actually, it did create quite a stir because I was interviewed by an Australian um, media company pretty soon after. And it was posted on YouTube. It went viral, like over one and a half million views in three days. And then YouTube just just took it off, just, you know, Banded essentially. So in that interview, all I was doing, uh, I was obviously based, you know, based on what I, I had written, but I was just citing Pfizer's own data from their report. Uh, it wasn't my opinion. I wasn't being subjective, purely just looking at the data. 
Um, so you're already looking in that three month period, um, already you have over a thousand deaths. So you've got 1,228 deaths in that short period of time. Um, and at the same time, you have in April 2021, you have the former Pfizer chief medical officer, Dr. Mace Rothenberg, when he was speaking to the Washington Journal he, about the development of the vaccine, he said, I can tell you that no corners were cut and there have been no deaths that have occurred directly as a result of the vaccine alone. <laughs> and they always put that caveat, the vaccine alone, because they always try and prove, they try and say, well, it, you know, it, it wasn't to do with the vaccine. Even if a death occurs, it's always non-vaccine non related. Um, so, but what is interesting, if you do look at this document carefully, um, there are over four, 42,000 cases which represent individual, you know, people. And, uh, out of those cases, you have over 150,000 symptoms, events. So that's on average roughly about three symptoms per person, not just them having mm. one adverse event, but at least three of them. Um, when I interviewed Dr. Jessica Rose recently on, on my Substack, she she's really deep dived into the VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System in the US. And she had said, you know, She's getting, again, the same data. It's about for every person, they're getting at least three to four symptoms. Um, so that's that's interesting how that ties in. Um, so so again, just so people know, this is the one we call, you know, the February 28th document, cumulative analysis of post-authorization yes. adverse events, yes. 536. Yes. You put that into your browser, that will yes. come up. Yes, yes. And so just quickly, I'm going to go through. So extra staff were hired by Pfizer, which is really quite mind blowing in order to deal with the large volume of spontaneous adverse events. I mean, that is just so telling. Um, they had to hire an additional 600 uh, full time employees just to deal with this sort of, you know, uh, going going through this volume of, of adverse events. Uh, we know that. Um, you have adverse events of special interest, AESIs, and one of those were to do with cardiovascular. Uh, we have like over 1,400 cases of cardiovascular events, and 136 of those were fatal. Um, but what is interesting is that uh, that 50 percent of these uh, of those rele relevant outcomes, including death, occurred less than 24 hours after receiving the vaccine. So this really strongly points to vaccine death causality mm. because it happened just immediately after they took the vaccine. Um, what is also interesting is that this is across the board. Women were three times more affected by these adverse events. And one of those adverse events is um, uh, that they were really affected by women in particular was anaphylaxis. And anaphylaxis is sort of this life threatening, this sort of a, a really severe allergic reaction. And obviously, I've done so much research to do with these vaccines. Um, What's interesting is that in the Pfizer vaccine, you have one of those novel lipid nanoparticles, which is named ALC0159, and that contains PEG. PEG is polyethylene glycol, which is known to trigger anaphylaxis. That's inside the vaccine. Now, these uh, it's, it's just really shocking. So again, out of the four... Uh, uh, of the nine deaths, four of those occurred on the exact same day they took the vaccine. Again, points to vaccine uh, death causality. Uh, then you have the damning pregnancy, uh, the damning data of the pregnancy outcome. So this is really shocking. And I have done a few reports on uh, pregnancy yes. and, uh, and the vaccine. And this is also in the same 536 document. So this is in the same, exactly, is in that same document. You have now... You have to out of the 270 pregnancies that were reported, 23 of those we have a spontaneous abortion happening, which is a miscarriage. Um, and out of the out of the 270, 238, no outcome was reported. So really, we only have we only know about 32 of the 270. And of the 32 that we know about, 23 resulted in yes. a miscarriage that is a horrendous yeah now it doesn't mean that the same ratio persisted but we don't know we so, don't know yeah 
you can't go on with that. So that is taken to, you know, they'll fact check that all they want. But yeah. that point, how all of this violates the Nuremberg Code, it's not like just that they didn't know and went without knowing. They affirmatively yeah. knew yes. really bad, yeah. uh, saw really bad signals and yes. just went on with them. Yes, they just went on with it. And what, what is just shocking is that um, now if you go into the clinical, uh, the Pfizer's clinical uh, uh, clinical protocol, their own protocol, you go to page 67 to 68, and it, it actually defines um, exposure during pregnancy. Now, just to recap, pregnant women were not included in the Pfizer's phase one, two, and three clinical trials. They were never included. And uh, an EDP, an exposure during pregnancy, the criteria of that, and this is really shocking, they allude to vaccine shedding. They yeah. don't call it vaccine shedding, but they say um, uh, any female that is found to be pregnant having been exposed to the study invention, the study intervention, I'm sorry, <laughs> obviously the Pfizer vaccine, by inhalation or skin contact. This is not just about receiving it. It's about inhaling it. And also it states a male family member who has been exposed to the study intervention by inhalation or skin contact, who then exposes a female partner prior to around conception. I mean, it's just and then anything about vaccine shedding is 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 is, is branded or you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. If you go to Wikipedia vaccine shedding they've 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 yep. defined it as it's it's conspiratorial but that means well that means pfizer is guilty of being a conspiracy theorist because within their own protocol yep. they and, refer and to, to this day we don't know the extent to how people can be harmed um you know i think presumably it probably needs to be pretty substantial exposure um, I don't think it spreads quite as easy as the pathogen did, but we don't really know. But what we do know is that conceptually, Pfizer seemed to be concerned about that. Exactly. They were concerned. And also, it had to be reported immediately, within 24 hours. Mm. That was the responsibility of the investigator. So this is this was on their radar. Um, and then um, I also went into, because I'm trying to be as quick as I can, we, I looked at the case report forms. There was a huge dump. This is about, this is thousands and thousands of documents. Uh, the a case report form, what it is, it's a really important document. It captures uh, clinical data from each uh, patient, including the adverse events, and it plays a really important role in pharmacovigilance. Uh, so you have, I was going through these case report forms for each of, you know, the different subjects. I zoomed in, obviously, on the Ventavia site, Obviously, Ventavia has a huge, there's a lot of uh, controversy surrounding yeah. Ventavia. I interviewed um, Brooke Jackson, yeah. the former Ventavia employee, and, you know, she talked about uh, the, putting the patients at risk, uh, how all the data was compromised, poor lab management, malfeasance. And obviously, when I was digging through these case report forms, I came across many anomalies, many errors. You have missing... so. With each serious adverse event, there needs to be a number attached to it. So looking through these forms, there were missing SAE numbers, many, many missing. You have missing barcodes on lab samples, and you have inaccurate data entry. And that happens a lot. So this suggests gross incompetence at the least, I would say. Um, also, you have for some particular subjects, for example, we've got subject 11281009. I'm just zooming in on this individual. Um, I know he was 66. Um, now, he, right, potential, it says potential COVID-19 related pneumonia should have triggered a COVID illness visit. This little message is in the form, like they're sending almost like a direct message to each other. So this is documented, like, why didn't it trigger a COVID mm. illness? So this shows that their own they're not following their own protocol because uh, within Pfizer's protocol, it states anyone with any symptoms of COVID-19, that will have to trigger a COVID, uh, a COVID uh, illness visit. That's just part of the protocol. So that didn't happen here. And also this person does end up dying. Um, and and their death, which is really shocking, their death is recorded before 
uh, a visit, you know, which is just really shocking. So they've just gotten that all wrong. How long Uh, after getting the vaccine did the guy die? um, Well, we don't know if he got the vaccine or not because it's a blind treatment. So, you know, um, but that that's just that's just just it's a a lot of inaccuracies. We have people who have no history of, let's say, any impaired kidney function. And all of a sudden, after taking the study intervention, they've gotten kidney stones, they've developed severe um, hypokalemia uh, and things like that. But nothing in their medical history suggests they had anything wrong with their kidneys. But after the second dose, this is the adverse events that have been documented. I then looked at, in another report, uh, this is looking at Pfizer's sensitive narrative document. That was released July 1st, so pretty recently. That was over the summer. This was a really interesting document. Uh, I looked at hundreds of the trial subjects. These are the narrative comments um, sort of, you know, uh, documented uh, with these trial subjects uh, and, and, and who, due to adverse events, which include death, pregnancy, COVID-19, or just no longer meeting eligible criteria were withdrawn from the trial. So this was really, this was about 3,600 pages. Wow. Um, and now every, this is, I found a lot in this document. For every adverse event, including death, Pfizer's stated opinion was, and this is, I quote, there was no reasonable possibility that it was related to study intervention. They said that every single time. So this is very, very important here because this is one of the big things I want you to go over. I have not gone over this so much. It's a 3,611-page PDF. So, you know, it's – and I'm trying to see how people could find interim narrative sensitive. um, Yes. You put in proto – you know – Protocol C four five nine one zero zero one. If you want to put that in and search for it, um, it, it's this is really all the individual data of the clinical trial participants. And because the question is, we all know they had to have seen this. They had to have seen this because it's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We're seeing the cardiac problems, the death, the um, neurological problems. And they had to have been seeing it, and we know that in their in the five three six postmarking, uh, you know, d- document, they have I think over fourteen hundred or so uh, categories of maladies that they were aware of. So you're saying if you go into this three thousand six hundred page document, that's where they actually show. Oh, indeed, they were seeing all of this, except what they said is, well, prove it to me. We don't think it's from that. Now, typically, the rule is innocent until proven guilty. When it comes to novel therapies, when you have someone uh, get an adverse event within that uh, experimental investigational window p- time period, you have to assume that it it was from the therapy until proven otherwise in order for you to get approval. And this yes. was just like, no, it's not. So tell us more about this document. I've got some really bombshell things to tell you. So now, um, so you have two deaths that happened. Well, I found a third death, which I will talk to you about. But the official two deaths, um, of course, of course, not vaccine related. Um, but what's interesting is that, oh yeah, because it because it happened two months after. So there's no way it could be related. This is like one of their sort of uh, uh, excuses. And it says, uh, also what's interesting, there was a, there was a, a subject who died of a, a fatal cardiac arrest after the second dose given of the, of the vaccine. This is subject number 10071101. And it says it was unknown if an autopsy was performed, which is and, and that's with all of them. Like we didn't know there's, there's no autopsy, like we've no idea. So there's they don't even have any sort of, oh, we're going to look into this. Yep. It's just we don't know. It's unknown if an autopsy happened. Um, and we know that cardiac arrest is one of the listed AESIs, right, from another report that I was telling you about. Um, now on to the second death. Um, this is a gentleman who died of arterio- arteriosclerosis, um, and that Pfizer and concurred with the investigators' causality, which they said that oh, it was related to suspected underlying disease. But if you look into the medical, there's no there's no mention of this person having that condition. How old was the person? I think he was about sixty. Okay. Uh, 
yes, I remember this person. But and he died. He died three days after receiving wow. those. Wow. Three days. Right. Um, moving on. Then we have. So this is really. This is quite crazy. I found a third death, but it was not listed on the top. So so when you have a death, it's listed like. Um, it says reason for narrative right at the top of the form and it will have death. This one just has safety related subject withdrawal. So me digging through, I was like, okay, this person died. Death of subject 11521497. Now this is really interesting because in the Pfizer funded report, the Pollock et al study, which is really, you know, yep, the main no, Published in the New England Journal of Medicine. That was the main adult Pfizer one that went through. And the next day, on December 11th, the FDA authorized uh, the uh, their Pfizer vaccine. The, yeah, that happened the next day. So it paved the way. This 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 study, right? That was that was that was published in the NEJM. They only said in that study there were only two vaccine recipients who died. I found a third one. This third death is not included. Now, yes, some people will say, well, what's the difference between two or three? But that's a whole 50% increase, you know, of, of people who died of the vaccine in, in, that, in, their, in their trial, right? Um, so this person had a syncope, right? He was taken to hospital, he, which basically means he fainted. Um, so it's a temporary loss of consciousness caused by a decreased blood flow to the brain. That's what the syncope is. We know syncope, if you look at on the CDC website, in England we have the NHS, the NHS website, syncope is listed as a, as a, as an, as a risk. This is a known risk of taking this vaccine. So this man, I think he was older, he was in his 70s, he fainted, he was taken to hospital, he came out of hospital, but then he just later died. And his death was on the, is November 11th. Now, 11th, people say, well, maybe it was past the cutoff, but no, there were other adverse events in that NEJM study, which happened at the same time in November, but they got included, but this death did not get included. Why is that? negligence now you know they just didn't want to include it or because death was not written at the top of the form and someone just didn't count it but it's you know i managed to find it and uh so that's that's i found was was quite alarming and i just wanted to mention that the to do with the nejm i don't know if i'm sure your listeners will be aware the editor-in-chief of that journal is dr eric rubin which i'm sure you've heard of he, he said that insane statement on that, that pivotal October 26, 2021 Verbat meeting, the FDA's Verbat meeting. This is to do with when they were deciding to give a vaccine to five to 11 year olds in the US. And Dr. Eric Rubin said, well, we won't know if it's safe. We won't know if it's any, you know, unless we give it out. Yep. We won't know if it's safe unless we just roll it out. And this is what he said for the children to take the vaccine. It's just so insane. And he's editor-in-chief of the New England uh, Journal of Medicine. Right, moving on. I found another subject. This is subject 11781107. This was a 48-year-old 48 48-year-old female who developed lymphadenopathy. Right. <laughs> now, this is a really interesting case because so she had at least four enlarged lymph nodes after receiving her first dose of the vaccine. Now, the narrative comments I think is just really shocking is that hospital oncologists believe the vaccine to be the most likely cause for her lymphadenopathy, and the trial investigator agreed. There was a reasonable possibility that the lymphadenopathy was related to the study intervention but Pfizer did not concur. So you have the hospital <laughs> saying, yes, this, this condition of this woman, these enlarged lymph nodes, which I will talk about a bit later, was related to the vaccine, right? We have the trial investigator agreeing with oncologist, but of course, Pfizer did not concur. It's just so shocking, isn't it? And, and that's emblematic of and, and also foreshadowing for everything we were going to see in the ensuing year and a half or so in that 
Pfizer got to be the judge, jury, and executioner. They got yeah. to be the producer. We would subsidize the product. Governments would market it, distribute it, mandate yeah. it, you name yeah. it. And then they get to determine the the bounds of their own safety yeah. and efficacy. In other words, yeah. they would dismiss, you know, multiple independent studies of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, whatever. But then when you have, you know, Paxlovid or Molnupiravir is only studied by the manufacturers. Like, yeah, yeah, it's all good. All safe, no problems, only benefits. All right, well, you say so like, oh, well, you know, people died, people got injured. Yeah, but we don't agree that that was a problem. You know what's what's uh, uh, similar to that? It reminds me of um, one of the most remarkable documents, and this is public, uh, wasn't court released on the FDA's website from Comirnaty's, the zip file of Comirnaty's uh, BLS, their full licensure, uh, given uh, in August 2021. So uh, the FDA does note that there's a concern, and we're starting to see that now, of subclinical myocarditis. And they note from the ACAM 2000, the uh, smallpox shot, which turns out was very problematic, uh, a 60 to 1 ratio that, you know, whatever you have myocarditis, subclinical could be 60 times greater. And they said when we asked, you know, the manufacturer to do a study on this, but basically they say, and they they pushed back against it because they didn't like the definition of subclinical. So it's like, oh, okay. So we, we know it's a massive universe of subclinical. We're going to dump this on young kids, including young boys that are at risk anyway. And they, they say they don't like it. You know, that's what Pfizer says. Yeah. King yeah. Pfizer. They get to mark their own homework, essentially, yep. is what. Yeah, they're marking their own homework. I mean, I just wanted to just to do with the lymph nodes. Now, I, I looked at the non-clinical, so the non-human clinical trials, the the, tri the the testing, the trials on the rats and, and all of that. So that was a non-clinical overview report. And, and it's interesting because in the toxicity studies, you had uh, the rats showed enlarged lymph nodes. Mm. You know, which is what we saw in this, you know, the woman, she she had this condition for enlarged lymph nodes. Uh, so they saw it already in rats. Um, but what is is just so shocking with the with the non-clinical docs is that no reproductive toxicity studies were done, no carcino carcinogenicity studies were done, no genotoxicity studies were done. So and when I looked into like, why weren't they done? They, they quote a WHO 2005 something guideline. And you go into that guideline and it states, well, you know, because of vaccine, it doesn't need to. But if there's something novel, a novel excipient, then it should. Now, we know this vaccine has two novel lipid uh, uh, nanoparticles, uh, which are excipients. The um, ALC, I think I, I said those, there's two of them, right? One has one is associated with PEG and the other is a cationic lipid, which is highly toxic. You, there's a lot of scientific literature that talks about cationic lipids being yep. really toxic. So, you know, we have two toxic uh, of these lipid nanoparticles. Now, the biodistribution study they did, right, this was for the lipid nanoparticles. They encoded it with the enzyme luciferase, not the spike protein, which is really interesting. Mm. Why didn't they do the spike protein? No, they chose not to do the spike protein in the trial. It was luciferase. And, they, and, it, and it just sort of showed where it went. They did these tests. And there was Japan also did something similar. And we know that the, the lipid nanoparticles travel to the spleen, the liver, the adrenal glands, ovaries, testes. And obviously, we know that a lot of these, you know, we we know women are getting affected, right? There's fertility issues going on. We're having a drop in birth rate uh, seen in different countries that some people have written about and uh, a disruption to women's menstrual cycles because we know these lipid nanoparticles are somehow collecting in the ovaries. Like, it's just really shocking. Um, and I just, you know, I mean... I just I wanted to mention because I, I don't want to forget this because you were talking about going back to the actual this is the adolescent because it's so important the adolescent Pfizer clinical trials. I interviewed um, Maddie DeGray's mother Stephanie DeGray quite a yep. while ago a few good good like at least six months ago. What's really shocking about I mean it's a heartbreaking case. So Maddie was part of the adolescent trial the twelve to fifteen year olds. 
Now, she um, she had a, uh, her symptoms developed right after the second dose. Uh, she had horrendous pain, neurological. She she in the wheel. She ended up in a wheelchair. She had to have a feeding. You know, lots of things going wrong with Maddie. And the the hospital that was running the trial was Cincinnati Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And the trial investigator was Dr. Robert Frank. He was the principal investigator of the children's trial. Right. He works also at that hospital. He's an infectious disease doctor. Now, Maddie was in and out of that hospital, the ER, at least over nine times. He and, and, and Maddie's parents were speaking to him. He claimed he didn't know that she was there, that there was. And she, he said that all the doctors told him that it, all her symptoms were not vaccine related, but to do with her anxiety. Or she had, you know, um, they put it down to stomach pain and sort of you know a bit of neuralgia you know there was it, 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 or anxiety yeah. so it's life debilitating paralysis yeah. but yeah. it's on yeah. the clinical yeah. trial to yeah. this day as as some sort of stomach pain yes so what is horrible is that he is the lead author now we're going back to the NEJM again so this adolescent trial was published in the new england journal of medicine he is the lead author he states there were no vaccine-related serious adverse events in the children's trial. Well, we know we know Maddie. She was in that children's trial. But and by the way, Sonia, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but folks, if you want to kind of follow along here, again, in that 536 post-marketing um, confidential Pfizer document, this is, this is truly, truly remarkable and i've i've mentioned this before but we got a lot of new listeners what what maddie degary was ultimately diagnosed with and that was only fairly recently chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyradioneuropathy okay if i can pronounce that correctly did you know sonia that that is on page 33 uh or 33 the pdf maybe it's page no 32 page 32 of that 536 document, the second page of those, you know, nine pages worth of um, maladies. So as early as early 2021, they, I mean, that's a really rare thing. It's a real nasty thing as well. Uh, yeah. You know, basically your nerves attack your body. Yeah. Um, terrible, terrible ailment. Very rare. Yeah. And they had that. They had it in there. They knew about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, these trial investigators, they had vested interests for the trial to succeed, right? So they were under so much pressure to not report anything, I think, going wrong with the trial, you know, and it, it's just, and of course, we have the Pfizer funded reports published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So it's, it's just... It's just really shocking. I actually, I reached out to Dr. Frank just to ask him, you know, why, why, why did he write no that, you know, when, you know, I've interviewed Manny, I just want to know your, you know, I want to comment from you. Just obviously didn't, didn't hear from him at all. Um, and um, it's just, it's just really, it's, it's, it's so shocking. And then going back to the, um, that sensitive narrative document, you only have four related out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, only four related serious adverse events that were reported under the, for the vaccine recipients. And this is obviously in the official study that was published. But you have hundreds of non-related. <laughs> and, you know, I just I listed some, you know, you've got like 20 year old. I mean, I have the subject numbers, but. 20-year-old female suffers from Baldock stone 13 days after dose one. 40-year-old male suffers from heart attack 11 days after dose two. 40-year-old female suffers from nephrolithiasis, low blood plaque potassium, 32 days after do dose two. And the just list goes on. Pulmonary embolism, a 50-year-old ma male suffers from that 28, five days after dose two. Um, worsening pancreatitis four days after dose one, deep vein thrombosis mm. 11 days after dose one. So the list goes on, but they're all non-related. Yeah. 
Right. And, and we're not flying blind. I mean, we 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 have doctors that could explain in great detail the pathophysiology, the mechanism of action of exactly why it would cause that. It's not out of out of left field, as we say here. It's not out of nowhere. It's yeah. it, it 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 is connected. So basically, to come full circle, um, there is no dichotomy between the trial and the reality of what we're seeing. It's the same thing. We have sudden death syndrome, and they're like, yeah, but it's not related to the vaccine. Likewise, that's what they did in the trial. They were seeing it, but yes. they were just able to deem everything um, yes. that it wasn't because of the vaccine. So it's 100% safe and effective because every case of COVID is somehow not from there and every adverse events not from there and we're we're doing it again i mean you know now they're on to this uh bivalent uh, uh shot which half of it is is um the wuhan strain which is almost like it's being done on purpose to create original antigenic sin the immune imprinting like you you that's the only reason you would do that to screw people over and you know eight mice uh and they all got covid um <laughs> and and they ordered 171 million here, and over 100 million were ordered by our government before they even formulated it. I mean, this yeah. is this is what it's at, and there's no there's no sign it's changing. Um, I know this is a very frustrating question because you're not so into the politics; you're just into the straight research, and it's tremendous work. And again, I encourage everyone to follow you. Uh, Sonia underscore Elijah on Twitter and the Substack, uh, as well as as uh, sign up at trial site. But here's the thing: every time I feel like we have a bombshell and this is going to be the kill shot, nothing matters anymore. So typically, there's a threshold, right? That you pull um, a shot. It could be twenty deaths, ten deaths, yeah. a few yeah. dozen cases of Guillain Barre, something like that. We blew through this by a factor of a thousand from day yeah. one, and because yeah. we didn't halt it then, it just made it that it doesn't matter anymore. I don't even know what you can. I literally don't know what needs to be proven to get this stuff pulled. And meanwhile, it's still even mandated. It's it's just so shocking. I mean, really, the the safety signals are off the charts. You know, with these with these these adverse events, deaths, hospitalizations. I mean. Um, across, around the world, I mean, not just you seeing it in VERS, but you've got we've got the yellow card in the UK, um, like nothing we've seen before would to do with any other vaccine. You know, these are very well, we know that they're not vaccines, right? This is the, the Moderna and the Pfizer are gene therapy products, even within the own um, uh, the, uh, the, the filings, you know, they, they, they classify their products as gene therapy products. So it's, it's just, uh, and it's there's a fact that they're just rolling it out to young children. I mean, just across the board, you know, it, it's 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 so shocking. Pregnant women here, they're really strongly encouraging pregnant women to to be vaccinated. I'm sure it's the same in the US. I did a report on that. And I looked at actually what was really interesting is if you have contradictory advice going on, you have this the FDA within the sort of their uh, full length um EUA um, uh, sort of the, the, the packaging insert for the community, it's saying that there's insufficient data to do any assessment on, on the, the safety, on the risk, you know, so there, there's insufficient data, uh, which is just really, really shocking. And you have the same thing for the, the MHRA website, which is really interesting. Um, but you have the NHS here, the, the main sort of health authority saying, really encouraging women to to take the vaccine. In other words, uh, marketing-wise, where people generally will see it, they'll say to get it, but you'll find buried in these other documents that we've discovered where they're like, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't get it, and even if you're childbearing age, make sure you weren't planning on getting pregnant and certainly yeah. don't give it to nursing. And then they're like, oh, well, no, no, you know, that was a while ago. Yeah, but you never changed that, and it's not updated. And, yeah. um, yes. and, and again, it's not like we don't have data. We actually have negative data. It's worse than that. So, you know, we're unfortunately out of time, and I want to do a part two with you at some point. I just want to end up off with, and, and you know, it doesn't have to be optimistic, but are you seeing any signs of change in the UK government vis-a-vis -vis um, the vaccines? 
No, in the UK government, no. I mean, within the population, I'm seeing. I think I think more people are waking up. I do see that because people aren't getting their kids vaccinated. You know, they really are pulling back on that. I think that the that there, there, there isn't that sort of rush to get the children vaccinated here. I think you're seeing the same in the US. I mean, there's a, a huge drop, right, uh, with parents taking... Except uh, on children, we're worse off because they did authorize it for the youngest cohort. Now, not many got it. Um, and then 5 to 11, I don't think many new people are getting it, but the original burst of it, there was... It was relatively low, but but at more than the UK. The UK has a higher rate among adults, but right. but we did get it. And, and, and the UK did ban 5 to 11, but they banned yeah. it quietly. <laughs> so I, I just did a report on that actually yesterday, and, and it's the, the language they use is just so, like, evasive. They... They sort of did a very quiet, on the quiet, I would say, sweeping it, sweeping it really under the rug. Their non-urgent offer turned into a no offer. So they're not offering the uh, the Pfizer uh, BioNTech vaccine for to five and uh, five to eleven year olds anymore, and uh, so. But the way they've done it is just so you would never know, like radio silence, yep. radio silence. Um, but what is really appalling is that um, you have the same date that the original JCVI gave their non urgent offer, which was on fe- February sixteenth. Uh, of this year, you have on the UK government website, they used the February 16th as a benchmark when they got in all the reports of myocarditis and pericarditis happening. And that was published on their website on the same day. Yet you have the, the JCVI in the UK is the independent group of experts that advise the government on immunizations. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And this is this gets back to the monarch. We're, we're living under an absolute monarch. They're like, we don't have to explain it to you. Yes, you're going to die. You're going to get it anyway. I, I don't know if you saw that in, in Australia. There was a senator there who, uh, you know, was asked, what is net zero? And she's like, I don't know. I'll get back to you, but we're doing it anyway. Everyone's doing it. It's a good idea. That's kind of where it's like. It, it, yeah. do, it doesn't. Yeah, people are dying. And that's why we're going to get even more shots. And now the new thing. Facts don't matter, and at some point, power is going to be have to be met with power. Um, but certainly, we do need the intellectual firepower to at least uh, help in the PR fight with the people. And you're doing a great uh, job on that. I encourage everyone to follow you again on Twitter, your Substack. Um, man, I'm, this on, went... I'm on Getter as well because I don't know how long I'll be on Twitter because I'm being. Heavily, I'm shocked you are. <laughs> I'm heavily targeted, so I know they're going to try and take me down on Twitter. So, but they can follow me on Getter as well, and in my Substack, I encourage people to yes to find my work there and and on Trial Site News and um and yeah no I it's it's um yeah I just it's you know I love what I do. And, and I just, I will keep on doing it. And I just see myself, I'm digging at the truth. You know, I'm essentially, yes. I, 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 I'm not a trait, you know, I, I, this is my sort of second career, really. I, I sort of, the, the lockdown got me into doing investigative journalism. I haven't been doing it that long. Yeah. It's needed. It definitely is needed. Well, thanks so much for what you do and looking forward to having you back again. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. So there you have it, friends. That was Sonia Elijah. Uh, what a terrific woman, very studious, very incisive, very detailed. When she tells you something, you could take it to the bank. She's really done her homework, so make sure to follow her. And that's part of what this show is all about, that we don't necessarily promote the same guests that other people have that maybe have huge followings, but really nothing to say. There's there's so many people like her that are doing terrific work, um, but as terrific as it is, the content is horrific. And I just want you guys to think about that 3,100-page document that chronicles deaths and hundreds of injuries of all sorts, you know, neurological stroke, cardio, everything. They saw it. They saw it and lied and did it anyway. I want you to think of that document pertaining to a few thousand people and extrapolate that for 5.6 billion people. I want you to begin to imagine what that means. The amount of people that already died, I'm telling you, it's in the millions. But I hate to say it, projecting forward, 
I just got a call last night from a friend of a friend who had someone who got three shots and they had cardiac stuff, brain bleeds, uh, nodes and swelling throughout the body. 45-year-old healthy person. What do you think is going to happen with all these people? And especially now, they don't even make an effort to study this and to try to diagnose it. Call me in distress. Need someone to treat the person. The problem is this is really an inpatient type of thing, and your options are limited. We have nowhere to go in America for a hospital to get care, not just for COVID anymore. This is, I mean, it's not even like, okay, we need them to admit and acknowledge that the cardiac damage came from the shots. It's wherever it came from, okay, could you treat it? No. This is the ultimate pro-life issue. And that's why, as I started out today, it blows 9-11 out of the water. So we no longer really focus so much, certainly want to commemorate the sacrifice of the people that died and obviously the heroism of the first responders on that day. But the bigger lesson that's relevant to us is the response to 9-11, which really catalyzed a much greater genocide that we're living through today, except the difference is this one is internal, not external. We have our work cut out for ourselves. That's why I need you guys to send this show to everyone you know. This information is so vital. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or if you don't like us, well, you could give us a one-star rating. But I think you'd admit this is very different from the typical so-called conservative banter or liberal banter that you hear. This is truly independent, and we hope to keep it that way. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend. We'll be back same time, same place on Monday. Take care, and God bless.